board meetings are getting tense. CEOs and investors, majority of them believe that they understand marketing and marketing's function, but like 30% or less of marketers feel like CEOs and investors understand. I'm Margaret Kelsey. And I'm Devin Bramhill. And this is Don't Say Content. And shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. They're great at creating shows with strategic outcomes in mind. They've been with us since the podcast was just an idea, and they helped us bring it to life from strategy all the way to execution, and we absolutely love partnering with them. So if you, dear listeners, are thinking of launching a podcast, which you definitely should, by the way, we recommend having a conversation with our favorite people over at Share Your Genius. Now let's get into it. All right. So today, this fine day. Yes. This was a topic that we were thinking about that we didn't really have an immediate answer to Hmm. or necessarily. It's more like we were like, oh, we should talk about this, but I don't know anything about it. (laughs) Yeah. So let me ask you this. Which is where the best conversations come from. Two people talking out their asses. (laughs) Giddy up. (laughs) So have you attended board meetings or participated in fundraising in any way at the company? I mean, like directly, like been in the board meeting or helped with a deck or, you know, anything like that as Absolutely a have helped with deck. Funny enough, have only been in reverse, like in pitch meetings when I was at OpenView to watch people pitch us. So that's an interesting experience where like I never had to do the pitching. I would always like help people put together the decks, help people run through their stories at AppQs. Um, you know, was in a little committee that helped the founders run through their pitch while they were raising money, giving them nice. feedback. But then the only time that I've actually like live witnessed pitching at a VC firm is at a VC firm from the side of the VC. Yeah. I have never been a part of the fundraising process. Logically so. The level I was at at startups, either they had just raised money, thus hired me, or I wasn't useful in that area. Or just was responsible, like at Help Scout, like supplying my CMO, SUNY, with helpful, like whatever he needed from what I was doing. Therefore, this is a great thing. This topic is great for us to talk about. Yeah. Beginner's luck. Yeah. (laughs) So we were talking about like the role that marketing departments, marketing functions play in fundraising. Yeah. Startup fundraising. Yep. Fundraise. When you say fundraising, it's like, it sounds like a nonprofit sometimes. Fund, whatever. Anyway, you get it. Three minutes Um, in and we have our first Riverside lag. So annoying. What is up with us? I don't know. It feels like it just happens to us. (laughs) You know, right? I'm like, did I piss someone off over at Riverside? If so, I am sorry. What do I need to do to heal this? I'm just toggling to our, our yeah. speed. What are we talking about? Well, the other thing, I'll caveat this, but the other thing that I have done is a lot of the heads of marketing that I work with, I help coach them as they're going into board meetings to understand what the board dynamics are like to make sure that they're set up to do that research beforehand, if that's their first board meeting that they're attending, to make sure they like kind of understand the types of questions that those board members usually ask, the things that they historically have cared about, and also the dynamic that's kind of in place. So that way they are going in feeling super confident. So I do coach on marketers attending board meetings as well. 
Yeah. And I think that there is a similarity in reporting to your CEO and reporting to investors on growth as a marketer in terms of the misalignment. It's this very similar and sometimes same misalignment that CEOs and investors have with marketers, uh, the marketing function. Yeah. And it ties into what we've been talking around about around the CEO, CMO situationship and actually lends itself to this conversation too. From what I'm seeing from heads of marketing and CMOs that I'm talking to, board meetings I think are getting tense. The last couple months, last year or so of do more with less and now looking at it of like, where's your growth? And I think that's one thing that's interesting, right? And I think the other thing is that it's the same thing that we talk about a lot of times where if marketers are speaking in jargon, then the CEO and maybe the board members think that they're talking about different things than they're maybe even actually talking about. So they say, oh, that's stupid to invest there, kill it. Or I don't know why you're doing this activity over here or this growth marketing, demand marketing, what you need is blah, blah, blah. And so I think there's a lot of talking past each other. And then I think the other thing that happens is that when your numbers aren't looking good, you tend to go and report on whatever thing is green in your dashboard. And I think that the inconsistency of reporting on the same metrics from board meeting to board meeting sets up a relationship where the board members don't trust the head of marketing or the CMO. And then that is where a big downfall starts to happen too. If you have to show, even if the numbers are bad, you have to show consistent numbers from board meeting to board meeting or else you're just going to get absolutely dismissed by the board in terms of your own efficacy and strategic ability to lead. Yeah. And I think there's a lack of big picture, sort of a macro mindset that's necessary in hard times where a lot of what I have seen from companies that I've been talking to is they're making these knee-jerk reactions based on fear. And I think that's what we saw earlier in the year from these investors who are like, change, like be profitable. And that isn't what moments like this necessarily require to help you succeed through them. Many founders in our industry are product founders, and they really excel at going from zero to one, unless they're a second time founder in which I think there's a maybe a larger percentage that understand the business of it and execute in that way. But because they're really good at that, they're kind of wrong for this. Because what is required of moments like this actually isn't the type of scrappiness that it takes to get from zero to one. It's a different kind and it comes with a large dose of macro thinking, calm, objective evaluation, patience, and being really good at managing your other fear factor, which are your investors, and getting them in the right mindset. Actually, let me read this quote because I felt like they summarized it really well. It says, traditionally, CMOs have been in charge of what's known as the four Ps for customer interactions product, price, place, and promotion. Evolution of marketing. In recent years, many organizations have added new marketing adjacent roles to their C-suites. They've distributed that ownership across many roles, which means that there are marketers who aren't even in charge of certain marketing activities that they should be. And thus it has the potential impact to dilute and almost to micro-focus resources. At the executive level, I feel like it's the wrong bifurcation, right? Yes. Now add to that CEOs and investors 
believe beyond 50%, like the majority of them believe that they understand marketing and marketing's function, but like 30% or less of marketers feel like CEOs, investors understand. And this is something I've come into contact with recently. I was talking to a VC at a small fund who is working with a company along with other bigger investors. Those sort of bigger investors were encouraging this company to build like a full out marketing function. But this smaller VC, I like want to marry them. I was like, you're so smart. They said, look, there's problems in the product that need fixing. And so like their churn rate is high. We don't think that they should do this right now. I was like, okay, I love you already. Like, absolutely. I will talk to them. Thank goodness this company was listening to this smaller VC and we talked about it and I was like, oh yeah, you don't need marketing at all. In fact, the type of company that you are, the people that you serve and like the traction that you've gotten just by existing and by the people that you've hired, I'm like marketing is built in to what you made at the time that you made it for those people that you made it for. Like this is a viral product more than it is a like marketing necessary product. All of that together, thinking about it through the lens of the role that marketing plays in fundraising, I am curious to learn more from more people about this because it seems the equation is not optimal, generally speaking, without any personal experience. I mean, look, by and large, you and I talk to a lot of people, clients or otherwise, and I feel like we get a pretty good pulse Everyone's challenges followed the exact same pattern. I told you, I had a client today who I reconnected with, who I love, and we had taken a pause over the summer. And he was like, Devin, six months ago, or a year ago, when you gave me this prediction of what was going to happen, he's like, how does she know? Like, I can't believe it. And he was like, everything you said is happening. <laughs> She's a witch. And I'm not like uniquely brilliant. Like it's just anyway. But I think you have the space and perspective to be able to see things from a different level that when you're too in the weeds, it's hard to find that space and time and perspective, right? You are talking to a lot of people across different companies and even possibly different industries. So you get a better map of the bigger picture. As the founder, CEO in the fundraising process, you want to go in with your own stance on that to bring to the table, to show that you have that macro viewpoint and connect it back down to what your vision is for the next phase of the product and growth and how you're going to deal with challenges and what you're going to do with the money. And I think that that's where, to me, if marketing were thought of as a business strategist, like a business growth strategy, instead of marketing, instead of sales, it's like you need a business growth strategist who can look at the short-term goals and the long-term vision and put plans together that are agnostic. Like, let's get rid of marketing. Let's get rid of sales. What are the unique opportunities for our business in our industry with the customers that we sell to that will help us reach our short-term revenue targets to get to our next round and long-term to become whatever level player in the market, capture this amount of the market, whatever you're, you know. The other thing I want to bring back, though, is the point of the idea that the marketer's role in board meetings and crafting that narrative and that story can be really powerful if that's what the marketer is good at, right? If you hired a marketer who is kind of like a CFO that's doing spreadsheet marketing, as I'm like trying to coin that term now, spreadsheet marketing, like, oh, we track it in a spreadsheet. We got it. Because you never track the message in a spreadsheet. You never track the emotional response in a spreadsheet. It's like channel, cost, 
So I think if you hire on a marketer that is somebody other than a spreadsheet marketer and actually understands narrative, content, story, emotional resonance, how to weave data in to make your story even stronger, that person can essentially kind of put together your entire board deck in a narrative arc that makes sense that you are going to be able to present to the board with a consistent vision, right? And I think that oftentimes maybe a founder doesn't have that skill set. Maybe they're an amazing product person or an amazing engineering person. And to lean on a marketer who has that skill set of, hey, this is the overall story we want to tell about this quarter. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. This is where we're going. This is how we changed our path. This is how I want the board members to feel as they walk away from it. Guess what? They're just a target audience. Your board members are target audience and you can communicate with them and you can get them to do the thing that you want them to do. And it's marketing. Like, it's so funny to me that it all comes back to even internal stakeholders. Everything is just the same thing. A target audience that's a unique persona and they care about these things and they want to hear it in this way, in this channel with this follow up. And this is what I want them to do for me. Yeah. All of my advice working with executives, speaking about their teams, is usually around, you need to think from their perspective. Or on the other side, when I'm talking to a head of marketing, I'm like, you need to think from your CEO's perspective. But you know what the problem of that is? The marketers, if they haven't run a business before, they can't imagine it. And it's not their fault, obviously, but I became the most powerful and most strategic once I ran a company and had that long background in marketing. And I'm glad that my background in marketing preceded running a company. I understand every single person, like executive I talk to now, and they say all the exact same things. I understand now why executives get frustrated with their marketers. Cause I'm like, you're right. Like sometimes your marketers just don't get you and they're selling you something that they probably believe in truly, or they haven't experienced what they haven't experienced. If there's one drumbeat that I could beat for a while, next six months, it's give your marketing team more context about the trade-offs that you are making in your business. Talk to the entire company, but specifically the marketing team, about what you're investing in and why, not just what you're investing in, but the why is super important. To your point earlier, we're seeing that our product has too much churn, so we're not going to invest in marketing right now because that would be stupid to turn on a marketing funnel if it's just going to leak out through churn. So we're going to invest in churn, and if there was a marketer in seat, that might feel like, oh shit, you're underinvesting in me because I'm a marketer at this company and you're underinvesting in me. But if you explain that, oh no, we will invest in marketing once we see these signals in product, not because we don't value marketing overall, but because we know that we're going to have to solve this churn problem before we add more people into this business, like marketers then all of a sudden I think would get off our freaking high horses where we're like, nobody thinks we're worth anything and nobody wants to invest money in our programs, you know? It's like because you keep asking for money without providing any real business strategy. And I think there's another step further in that conversation where if you already have a marketing team or a marketer and you come to this conclusion that your churn is at a level that investing in inbound for example, makes no sense because they're going to get on board and they're going to churn. What if you then ask them, what can we do instead? For example, you could use the improvements, like 
what you've identified as the core causes of churn, which should be driven in part by user feedback and data you get from where people are having roadblocks in the product. Marketing can propose ways that you can use that time fixing the product to still evangelize it and the company with a some kind of building in plain sight campaign. And the smartest leaders are like, hey, agree, if they do agree. We have this team. I propose letting them go for right now. As a business leader, which you are as a senior marketer, is, okay, look, the market right now has finally really good talent in abundance, tons of freelance options. There's some really good agencies out there like, we shouldn't waste money just because we're afraid that like when we're ready, we won't have a team. We've got it. Like I predict in the next six months to a year, we have enough evidence to know that we're going to be fine rebuilding a team. Let's narrow it down to this freelancer who can help with this one thing. It's like you can propose that kind of stuff. Or even like look at your best fit customers, the ones that aren't churning. Is there something unique about them? And then you direct your marketing programs and budgets towards more of them while the product fixes for hopefully the fringe use cases or the folks that are a little bit on the edges that you're not ready to go after. This is one of the things that I think has really become more crystallized in my mind. And I think, again, it goes back to the language we use, which is the idea that you're like, current entry point into the market is not your total addressable market. And where is marketing spending their time right now? I keep coming back to this where it's like a lot of times I feel like marketers will think or they'll get from product or get from user research, whatever it is like, oh, this is our total addressable market. These are everyone that could buy. That's not necessarily where marketing should be spending their time right now. There might be a little piece of the little delicious cake that you can go after and do a bang up job with less budget and higher impact. And then you look like you're the hero. And so I think that, again, there's language that we need to be really crystal about, especially in a quarter, which is like, what is the current target market? Or what is our current entry point into this market? And what do those people look like? Versus who are all of our customer personas? Who are all of our user personas? Who's everyone that could ever buy this product? Yeah. It's like defense is a great offense. So to your point, maybe our growth strategy right now is in expansion with certain accounts that are having success with the product as it stands right now. Are there people churning that don't need to churn because they're churning for a different reason or something? And that's where, I guess it was at the end of H1, like throughout H1 2022 at Animals, we were seeing changes in what our customers needed from us. If after a board meeting, a CEO could go to their marketing team and share a bullet list of the concerns or ideas or things that the board was pushing them, whether it made sense to do or not, and sort of find a way to tell the story on behalf of investors and say, hey, you don't even have to say how the board meeting went. You're just like, here are the things that came up related to growth in general, like how we're doing growth-wise, and specifically our marketing efforts. You're going to hear a mix. This isn't a referendum that I am leveling on you. I'm sharing this with you so you understand what I am having to work through with my investors. And have your mini mandate say, there are some things in here that I believe in or am willing to be convinced on. And there are some areas where I can see that the pushback is strong enough such that I need to address it. And now marketing is actually set up to help the CEO who is like encountering their own challenges. 
But the other conversation that normally happens or that I've seen happen is the founder or the CEO turns to the marketing team and says, hey, change your strategy, change your tactics. I need you focusing on XYZ things now for the next quarter. And that feels like you don't have agency, you don't have autonomy over your work, you don't have the ability to affect strategy. And I think that those are two very different conversations that could happen after the same exact board meeting, which is, hey, we got some concerns over here and we want to see this thing. But again, I think part of it is that that translation of what any of these marketing programs or tactics are even called gets lost in translation where it's like, oh, don't worry on that. What you need is ABM. And then the founder is like, hey, marketing team, now we're going to do ABM. But once the marketer does ABM, it might look totally different from what the board member was talking about when they were thinking about ABM, because we all use these freaking terms interchangeably and they're not interchangeable. (gasps) Say what you mean. (laughs) Oh my God, it kills me. I love that little mini rant. It was great. And I think too, there's another element to that where by coming to your marketing team or any team, but for the sake of this conversation, marketing with the blanket solution or mandate from the board puts marketing in a defensive place where they're going to have a reaction that leans on what they already know because they're on defense Thus, their ideas probably are going to be a bit blind and they don't have the context anyway. And so no one is set up for success there where if the CEO can come to like with the CMO to the marketing team and start a brainstorming conversation built on curiosity on how to solve the challenge, which is a combination of the efficacy of our current marketing activities and the board's perception on top of that. And now this is when marketers actually get to start doing strategy and not just planning because how to fix those two things together requires some strategic thinking and execution and how you execute that. I have like those emojis in my hand where it's like, give marketing more context. (laughs) Give marketing more context. It'd be so cool if they could be like interns and just like sit in the room and listen, which sounds so belittling. Because even when like CMOs would come back to us and tell us what's going on, it was always summarized. It was always packaged in a way where I was like, I didn't get it. I really didn't. It wasn't till like you go out for drinks later when you don't work there anymore. that They're like, oh my gosh, those board meetings were chaos. Like this old white guy screamed and slammed his hands on the table and all the other white guys freaked out. I've been in those meetings with a bunch of white guys at my company. I was the only female like semi-leader and I wasn't even at their level and getting them all to room and have them argue. They're fighting with each other. And I was just like, you think I'm dramatic? Y'all need to calm the fuck down. Have you seen that recent meme? I saw it on TikTok. It was a meme that was like, Before we start this meeting, can we acknowledge that we're all going to die and none of this matters? Nobody take yourself too seriously in here. None of this matters. It's just like, can we please just you relax? And I'm like, yeah. Anyway, I think that the reason why I get so passionate about the things we talk about around misalignment, between C-suite and marketing, a sort of like evolution of marketing's function that isn't really working is because perhaps naively, I think there's a way out. I'm not proposing a silver bullet anything, but I see many opportunities 
and have experienced being part of some of those solutions from all ends, from that amazing investor that brought me in to help support a very sane piece of advice and approach to in all roles that I've held, right? And so like, there's so many glimmers. What I see and what bums me out is the majority of people who ask for my help are thinking about it all wrong. And it's because institutionally we're thinking about it all wrong. There are people that succeed despite that. It's not like everything's broken. There's things that we could be doing differently and you don't need the whole industry to change in order for you to do something different. And I think that we have forgotten that. And it's why times of chaos are so exciting for me because when there's nothing left to burn, you have to set yourself on fire. This is a perfect time with like lots of things that we've taken for granted, including how marketing works, whether it works at all, is completely changing because the times when marketing worked, despite whatever you're doing was smart or not, are over. You can't just exist and succeed anymore. Like you actually have to try. And I think that's a really exciting time for me. And there are people that you and I have both seen who are asking interesting questions and wanting to try new stuff. And those are the companies that I've been excited to work with. And I think there's more of them. What's that meme? Girls who get it, get it. Girls who don't, don't. There's too many to count. I feel like it's very public may not be as obvious, but it's like people who invest in companies, they're seen as these strategic gamblers and people who start companies, right? It's like putting their ass on the line to blah, blah, blah. And like the things that we thought were struggles before weren't real struggles and we're starting to encounter them. And the reaction is mind-blowing to me because if you haven't actually had challenges that activate a kind of fear that's like in your DNA, whereas at least for me, thinking about my career, even recently, the blatant misogyny Mm. and in public in front of other people who then continue to do nothing or just like standing there like, I don't know. We're so far away from, yeah, I I just keep going back to how far away we are from an equitable relationship. There's this like, oh, you quit animals and you started a podcast. I'm like, did you hear anything else that I did or said? It's like this blindness to like blatant success, even in recent conversations that blew my mind. I was like, are we still here? Let me give you one example. And this is anecdotal. This has happened twice. Stood in front of me or stood next to me, having a normal conversation, work-related at a conference. Spoke to a friend of mine who is a man who he knows really well, talking about me and the third person. He's like, well, you know what she's really thinking, right? He's like, she's thinking X, Y, Z. And I was like, no, he doesn't. I know. Hi, I'm here talking to you. He's like, look completely past me again continued it. And I was like, stop. That is that same type of stuff. The looking in front of you and not believing that you've done what you've done has happened to me recently. Other people taking credit for the monetary impact I had on a company right in front of me. It is unbelievable. That stuff helps me see that, of course, marketing hasn't changed at all and everybody thinks it has. It hasn't. Because everyone thinks that the world has changed and we haven't really changed. And I think that's a curse of early adopters too, where people who can see changes start to happen early as we start to think once we start to see a change, oh, well, it's already happened. I mean, I felt that way with PLG, right? It was like, I mean, I talked about PLG for so much. I'm like, God, who else wants to even know about? There's nothing left to talk about. We figured it out. 
We know all of the things. We've mapped it. We have an academy about it. We have a book about it. We have companies of examples. How else can we talk about it? Guess what? There's people right now, today, that are learning about PLG and want to dive into new information. And I think that that's an interesting thing of like, it is the curse of seeing things too early, is that you get sick of the fact that change takes so much time. You can get really burnt out trying to like advocate for change. Yeah. And thus, the position I think you and I are in is like, sure, it was a demoralizing fall going back out into the conference world and experiencing that stuff. But then the benefit to you and I is we get to choose who we work with, right? It's like before we started this episode, I was telling you about a company that was referred to me by a friend who on the first call, I was like, what you specifically have asked me for, I cannot do for you, but I know someone who can, I'm going to connect you with them immediately. I am so bought in. Like, I think this is so cool. And they came back and were like, yeah, actually, can we try something out? Like we get to find our corners where we're energized and excited and challenged in ways that are like exciting. And I think that's the thing that consulting has really done for me is most of the challenges I had running an agency or working in-house were that my challenges were boring because most of them had to do with gendered power. Then I just got handed these things that were so boring. I was like, I'm dead. Well, now I get to actually work on real challenges. I think that's where like the excitement and passion comes from now. And now I have energy and like want to help change things on a bigger scale because I have the energy from real challenges to like make me excited. Okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you as always for listening. We'll be back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great. 30% of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know which side you're on this week. You know. (laughs) You know. See you next week. Bye. Bye. I don't know what my hair is doing today. Yeah. It's like, who cares anymore? Who cares? I was like, actually, wait, no, your hair looks great. I meant to tell you that. I was out in the rain. It's like I washed it last night. Freaking freezing night of trick-or-treating. Like 40 degrees. My little fingers, I did not bring gloves. Um, but Everett was very happy. And so that's all that matters. Wait, did you go outside with wet hair in 40 degrees? No, no, no. I dried oh. my hair. Mm. I, I like did a specific shower for Halloween.